tonight, we go over the grievance studies hoax that fooled academia. I'm Roaming Millennial, and you're watching Uncensored. Welcome back to the show. Now, if you're familiar with my videos, you'll know that I care about education. I think it's important both for individuals and communities as a whole, and I have a ton of respect for educators at every level, from kindergarten to university, just everybody involved in teaching. But because I do care about education, I also feel the need to therefore be a little bit critical of it right now. The relationship between teachers and their students of any age is a very special one, one that in my opinion needs to involve at least some element of trust because frankly, there is the very real threat of exploitation there. You see, there is an imbalance of power in that dynamic between teachers and students. And unfortunately, I think right now, so many students out there are being exploited by their educators for political and social gains. Academia is supposed to be about scholarship, research, and education, but lately it seems to be more about political indoctrination. And this is especially the case when it comes to higher education and the humanities. For the longest time, and by that I mean for as long as I've been making videos, like two and a half years, not that long, I guess, but still, people have told me, and more importantly, other people like me, that that sounds crazy, like a conspiracy theory, but now, because of recent developments, I have vindication, and it's actually pretty incredible. This is the story of three stalwart academics, James Lindsay, Peter Bogosian, and Helen Pluckrose, and their efforts to understand and critique this growing problem in academia. Since approximately June of 2017, I, along with two other concerned academics, Peter Bogosian and Helen Pluckrose, have been writing intentionally broken academic papers and submitting them to highly respected journals in fields that study gender, race, sexuality, and similar topics. We did this to expose a political corruption that's taken hold of the university. By this point, several of these papers have been accepted in highly respected journals, and one that claims that dog-humping incidents can be taken as evidence of rape culture has been officially honored as excellent scholarship. To be clear up front, we think studying topics like gender, race, and sexuality is worthwhile, and getting it right is extremely important. The problem is how these topics are being studied right now. A culture has developed in which only certain conclusions are allowed, like those that make whiteness and masculinity problematic. Guys, there's been a lot of winning lately. Kavanaugh being confirmed, that guy who kicked the pro-life woman was arrested, I recently found a really good Moroccan restaurant near my house, just so much winning, and then this comes out just... Mm, delicious, but that clip was taken from an around six and a half minute video on Mike Nana's YouTube channel. If you guys want to watch the full version of it, I encourage you to. And along with that video, these three academics also released a piece in the journal Aereo, breaking down the goals of this experiment, endeavor, expose, what have you. As the three right there, something has gone wrong in university, especially in certain fields within the humanities. Scholarship based less upon finding truth and more upon attending to social grievances has become firmly established, if not fully dominant, within these fields. And their scholars increasingly bully students, administrators, and other departments into adhering to their worldview. This worldview is not scientific and it is not rigorous. For many, this problem has been growing increasingly obvious, but strong evidence has been lacking. For this reason, the three of us just spent a year working inside the scholarship we see as an intrinsic part of this problem. As someone who graduated not that long ago, and who spends a lot of time looking into course descriptions, human resource practices, and student codes of conduct at universities, and reading messages from current students, 
Everything they said in that paragraph is 100% true. Far too many universities and specific departments are essentially indoctrination camps at this point. And if you ask me, it is about dang time that more academics from within the system spoke up about this problem. Now, these three framed this project as an investigation into what they're calling grievance studies. In addition to the video and article, they've actually also released a whole Google Drive file full of content, including all of the papers they submitted, the reviews of those papers from other academics, and of course, because they are academics, and 18 page summary of the project which I did read in its entirety because this is all juicy as hell to me. But in the brief, they say they use the term grievance studies because, quote, many of these fields refer to themselves as something studies, and because they operate primarily by focusing upon and inflaming the grievances of certain identity groups. So grievance studies would include things like gender studies, race studies, even fat studies, and other areas like that, and I actually really like that term. So to expose how ideologically corrupt these fields and supposedly renowned journals are, these academics started with ridiculous premises and back them up with fake data to see if they could pass the rigorous peer review process and they did. Even though they were forced to end this project months before they had predicted, the team still had seven, seven out of their 20 papers accepted and published. And these pieces range from the outrageous to the extremely outrageous. This project proved that these grievance studies fields are literally beyond parody. The first piece accepted, of course, was the one on dog parks, a piece that was also incidentally honored. It was titled Human Reactions to Rape Culture and Queer Performativity in Urban Dog Parks in Portland, Oregon. And it was published in the journal Gender, Place, and Culture, the quote, leading feminist geography journal and a top 10 gender studies journal. Next, there was, shockingly, the piece titled Going In Through the Back Door, Challenging Straight Male Homohysteria and Transphobia Through Receptive Penetrative Sex Toy Use, which for any of us non-academics out there, yes, they, they are talking about using prosthetics that resemble the male anatomy, on, on the rears of straight men. Yeah. This gem was published in the journal Sexuality and Culture, which from the sounds of it is sold in the dark back corner of gas stations, wrapped in plastic, so you know, you can't, you can't flip through it to the exotic stuff without buying it first. And before I read the article summary, I would like to make a disclaimer that this is an extremely disturbing concept that again, was actually published, so if any of you are sensitive, Guard your ears. But the paper asserts that, quote, it is suspicious that straight men rarely anally self-penetrate using sex toys, and that this is probably due to fear of being thought homosexual or homohysteria and bigotry against trans people, transphobia. It combines these ideas into a novel concept, transhysteria, which was suggested by one of the paper's peer reviewers. And finally, the paper concludes by encouraging readers to engage in receptive penetrative anal eroticism as it will decrease transphobia and in increase feminist values. So that was accepted and released. And one peer reviewer actually commented, quote, this article is an incredibly rich and exciting contribution to the study of sexuality and culture, and particularly the intersection between masculinity and anality. Apparently that's a word. Then of course the other accepted and published pieces include one that rewrote sections of Mein Kampf Yes, that Mein Kampf to include feminist rhetoric instead of, you know, Nazi rhetoric. Then there was the article about restaurants like Hooters and the article that argued that fat bodies should be incorporated into bodybuilding. And while most reviewers heaped praise upon that piece, there of course was that one critical reviewer who commented that, quote, the use of the term final frontier is problematic in at least two ways. 
First, the term frontier implies colonial expansion and hostile takeover and the genocidal erasure of indigenous peoples. Find another term. Can't have any of that problematic language in our pieces about fat acceptance, no, no. And finally, we also have the piece Moon Meetings and the Meaning of Sisterhood, a poetic portrayal of lived feminist spirituality. A poetic monologue that was largely written by a random teenage angst poetry generator. Again, all these pieces published. And while you would think that these pieces of what is essentially satire actually going through the peer review process and being published in supposedly academic journals should have been enough for the far left to take a step back and think, wow, okay, maybe we're going overboard with this a little bit, maybe we just need to cool it, become a little bit more objective with our reasoning. Some of the responses to this project have shown us that, uh, no such luck. One New York Times op-ed, which did acknowledge the project revealed a problem within the fields of grievance studies, said that, quote, hyper-specialization in the humanities means that the very people who should be thinking broadly about culture and ideas and teaching students to encounter and engage with a variety of positions and opinions are becoming accustomed to defining their interests in the narrowest possible terms. They read and exchange ideas in hermetic academic bubbles in very much the same way that the public has increasingly tended to read and exchange ideas in hermetic news bubbles. Oh, Okay, that kind of makes sense. I mean, echo chambers are indeed a problem among most people, so it could stand to reason that they're a contributing factor to the radicalization in academia I'm with you there. But then the author concluded that, quote, the solution is not to attack those scholars who are devoted to studying marginalized people. The solution, rather, is to ensure that the study of the marginalized not itself be marginalized or self-marginalized. The experiences of racial and gender minorities are essential aspects of history, literature, and philosophy because they are experiences essential to all societies and always have been. When disciplines are reformed to include these stories as well as the stories of how they became excluded in the first place, then they are benefiting knowledge as a whole. Wow, you really didn't get it. Just missed the point entirely. The answer is not to inflict these bad ideas on other fields to spread them further to more people, but rather to open these bad ideas to new ideas, different ideas, dissenting ideas, and most importantly, quantitative ideas. But that's still more self-awareness than was displayed over at Slate. In that article, the author actually saw fit to defend the validity of the hoax papers. Not kidding. As Daniel Engber wrote, the headline grabbers, the real slam dunks of the project were the dog rape paper, the dildo paper, and the restaurant research. They also share a common trait. Each was presented as a product of empirical research based on original data. The dog rape study is supposed to have resulted from nearly 1,000 hours of observation at three dog parks in southeast Portland. The dildo paper pretends to draw from multi-hour interviews with 13 men, eight straight, two bisexual, three gay, about their sexual behaviors. And the restaurant research claims to have its basis in a two-year-long project carried out in northern Florida, involving men whose educational backgrounds, ages, and marital statuses were duly recorded and reported. How absurd was it for such work to get an airing? It may sound silly to investigate the rates at which dog owners intervene in public humping incidents, but that doesn't mean it's a total waste of time. If the findings had been real, they would have some value irrespective of the pablum that surrounds them in the paper's introduction and discussion sections. No! These topics were chosen because they were preposterous, and they are preposterous. No good can come from studying the public humping incidents of dogs, save for maybe controlling the population of stray dogs. That's it. And you're saying the papers would have been useful if the data mentioned was real? And that's the point. It wasn't real, and no one thought to check that. Just 
know when to take the L, but Angbrin didn't stop there. Although Bogosian, Pluckrose, and Lindsay frame their inquiry as a probe into grievance studies broadly, i.e. also things like race, sexuality, and fat studies, according to Angbrin, that was just a cover to describe the true target of the project. And that's feminism and gender. As he writes, going by their abstracts, almost all the fake papers, 18 of 21, make silly or parodic claims concerning gender. Just eight mention race or sexuality. And that's not to mention Bogosian's past critiques of gender studies as Angber found, nor Lindsay's criticism of the Me Too movement. Shocking, yes, and apparently enough evidence for Angber to conclude that. How timely, too, that this secret project should be published in the midst of Kavanaugh, a time when the anger and the horror of male anxiety is so resplendent in the news. It's a very scary time for young men, Trump told reporters on that very day that Pluckrose, Lindsay, and Bogosian went public with their hoax. Both express a fear of false attacks on men, whether levied by regretful sluts, lefty liberals, radical academics, or whoever else. Just to be clear, all three academics who participated in this project are self-identified left-wing liberals. As someone who is neither left-wing nor liberal, let me tell you, it would be a mistake to say that identifying the problems within the gender studies community or modern feminist scolarity is somehow an attack on the left as a whole or liberalism. It's not. They're not the same thing. And while I'm not holding out hope that this project will be cause for any self-reflection among the institutions that it targets, I do hope that at the very least it will be enough to wake up others, and especially students, to this very real problem. So kids, returning students, parents, I'll leave you with this. Choose your schools wisely and choose your majors wisely. But that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.